Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having the shit scared out of me. Wait, what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist and I love talking about horror movies and mental health. <laughs> we love horror films for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, aka how crazy we are, and the role the horror genre can play in our self-care, we started a podcast called Psycho Analysis. Every episode, we talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in mental health and wellness, whether it's a deep dive or a shorter episode of a movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. But not in a weird way. Unless we're talking about hot horror sweaters, because then it is very weird. True. Very weird. <laughs> Our episodes drop every Thursday on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out how, how horror can, can heal. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host for today, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, taking a breather here at Boulder's Scenic Outdoor Amphitheater. You know, Teddy Wyzak was on to something. On the right day, this place sure feels like a slice of heaven, and today is one of those days. The sun is out, the air is clean, and the sky is bright. So bright there isn't a single shadow across the valley below. Every tree, every crook, every flower is right there for the eye to see. You might say it's the perfect place to have a spirited, friendly chat, which, believe it or not, is exactly what I'm doing today. Up ahead, I'll be joined by a very, very special guest, the one and only Owen Teague, who has wowed us on every episode of The Stand for his incredible performance as Harold Lauder, an all-too-familiar face in these parts. Together, we're going to talk about the research that went into his role, the differences from page to screen, how he got into character on set, and why Harold is ultimately such a pitiful soul. We're also going to take a stroll through Midworld as we discuss Teague's earliest memories with Stephen King's work and even chat about his other roles in King's Dominion. So grab a seat, unwrap a payday even, and have a listen. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm. This is really cool. We're such huge fans of obviously Stephen King and The Stand, but we were, strangely enough, really big fans of Harold. Yeah. You know, this is one of the characters that is so complex and so nuanced, and you've just nailed it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Thank you very much. That's really, really nice to hear. And makes me feel good as well, because uh, I know you guys are obviously massive Stephen King fans, and 
So am I. That feels really good that people who really know his work and know his world and and all that stuff are seeing that and feeling that way. That, That makes me really happy. There's so many King regulars on screen, and this is your third Stephen King adaptation to date. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, was this just mere coincidence, or do you tell your agent, like, look, I want you to book me as much fucking Stephen King as possible. (laughs) Get me in the next movie. I think it's coincidence. I mean, I think they know that I'm a big fan of his work, but I I never, like, asked them, get me in on this. Although when, when they called me about it, I was like, oh, God, I would do anything to be in this. So I think they know that I have enthusiasm for it. The first one you're referencing of the three is Cell, right? Yeah. 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 And I was so young when I did that. I I don't even, I forget how old I was, but I was like a kid. And that was just, you know, random chance. That was like, you know, I happened to book it. And at that point in my career, I'm not a big fan of that word, but that's what it's called, I guess. Um, You know, at that point, it's like, you'll take what you can get. And like it was a movie with Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack, and it was a Stephen King book that I hadn't read, but hey, it was still Stephen King, and and so I was like, yeah, that this is amazing, this is awesome, I can't believe that I'm getting to do this. And then it was also kind of just I got the audition, and I read the book, and I knew the character of Patrick Hoxtetter, and. And I got the audition and I was like, well, I'm the furthest thing from Patrick Hoxtetter that you can imagine. <laughs> quite quite like my reaction was when I got the audition for Harold. It was like, you know, there's no way that I'm going to get this. And so my audition was just like completely insane. And I got it, which I guess goes to show there's a phrase that I learned in an acting program I took once, strong and wrong. And then it kind of just kept going. So so it feels like going into Harold, though, at least you had some momentum of like, all right, I've been in King's Dominion before. Yeah. I kind of feel comfortable there. How familiar were you with these characters? I mean, I know you've read the books before doing the performances, but where do your roots with King go to? I mean, are they, did you grow up reading his books? Yeah. So I, I started, I think the first thing I read was Eyes of the Dragon oh, nice. when I was in fifth grade. And it was like mind blowing. And then I just did the entire Dark Tower series. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like beyond obsessed. That's a hell of a gateway. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you put such a hurdle <laughs> in front of you with the seven books because there's so much in there. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I'd always heard of Stephen King as being like a horror author and like, you know, some people kind of trashed him when they talked about him. And I had never really understood exactly what kind of stuff he wrote when I was mm-hmm. younger because I'd heard his name like floating around, especially like from my dad. And then I picked up Eyes of the Dragon and Dark Tower. And I was just like, so completely not expecting what that was because they're so full of, you know, mythos and lore and stuff like that. So that was really exciting, especially since I'd grown up loving Lord of the Rings. I was like a huge Lord of the Rings kid. And so this felt like exactly what King set out to make, I guess, which was a a modern American Lord of the Rings. Totally. And then after I finished Dark Tower, I did The Stand because it felt like the, you know, next one to do. Um. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, what can I get on a sizable level in terms of epic? Yeah. Yeah. Solidified down to one novel. Yeah. That seems right. Like, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of smaller books that I could choose, but nah. Yeah. Yeah. Should I go with Carrie? No, we'll yeah. go and see The Stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I was 13 when I, when I read The Stand for the first time. And... 
it felt so much of, I mean, it is, I, to be honest, I'm not completely clear on, on how all the King universe stuff works, but I'm pretty sure they're in the same universe, right? The Stand in Dark Tower. Yeah. So I think what it is, I'm sure like the console listeners are just going to scream at me, but like, basically I am, I always assume that the stand is in one of the worlds that the Dark Tower travels through because like in the wastelands and I believe the beginning of Heart and Glass, you can kind of see aspects of the stand there like they've come across like the the ravaged world of the stand because like yeah that's the problem with the stand is like you can't really do too much connective tissue because the world ends right (laughs) it's like it has to be some sort of parallel universe or whatever but i i think that out of all the books in his works like the dark tower certainly ties in it just i mean if only for randall flag so yeah Yeah. um okay cool i'm glad i I, I, I've always had all these like questions and I, and I go online sometimes and it's like, it doesn't really answer my questions. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, it's good to talk to someone who probably knows, <laughs> but <laughs> they always felt like such kind of similar because of flag and the different worlds that the tower connects and all that. They always felt related to me. And I mean, Dark Tower and The Stand were just like my favorite books of his and and yeah. my favorite books, period. And I'd always wanted to be involved with their adaptation, being The Stand or Dark Tower or both, whatever. I mean, when I was younger, when I was like first reading Dark Tower, I wanted to adapt it. Like I wanted to make it into a movie. And then, of course, I realized that that's not exactly where my interests lay (laughs) or i wanted to like i was a i was a kid and i like wanted to play jake chambers or something and then i i I kind of followed that the stand was being adapted by josh for a while like i'd seen it on online message boards or whatever like king forums and i was just like oh i hope i'm old enough to play somebody in that when it when it happens and of course i wasn't thinking of harold because i figured you know the physical differences between the way Harold is described and what I look like is just not going to work. Yeah. So I wasn't exactly sure who I would want to play. And then I get this audition for Harold and like Josh and I talk on the phone and I was like, Oh, he's, he's taking everything of the outside of Harold and putting it inside, which I thought was a Mm -hmm. really kind of interesting way to go where he's not physically that repulsive necessarily there's something inside of him that kind of leaks out that people can pick up on and i really liked that take on it oh totally i mean because what i love about your turn is that you really do capture this the strange dichotomy you know he's as tragic as he is terrifying yeah and i wondered like did you approach the character with like more pathos or did you pity him um i mean because it is such a juggling act that you yeah. have to do that's it's so delicate and and i wondered like what where did you lean more on when you're approaching the character like did you kind of look at him with i guess pity is the only word i could really think of i think i did in a way basically when i approach any character i, I try to i mean i try to kind of come at it from the inside as much as i can i really wanted to understand exactly where harold was coming from and everything about him and how his brain worked and like what his thought processes were in terms of how he saw things and how he saw people and and how he saw himself. And there Mm -hmm. is a lot of self pity in that way of looking at things. So yeah, I did, I did pity him in that I pitied myself. This is all sounds very strange to 
talk about, but that's what it is. It makes sense though. Yeah. And it's weird because like now looking back on Harold, the pity's gone. I don't feel pity for him anymore. I actually, Mm -hmm. for a long time, I was very uncomfortable thinking about him. I think right after I wrapped the show, I felt very strange about having played him and having looked like that and like done some of that stuff that he does on screen. And it was very odd because I didn't feel any pity for him and I really detested him. I really didn't like him. And when I was playing him, I, I kind of did like him. Like he, <laughs> there's, a, there's a line in the book where Franny's writing in her journal and she says, if I could go back, if knowing what I know now, I think I'd actually choose Harold to be friends with instead of Amy, which is Harold's sister. Yeah. Everybody probably knows that. But <laughs> I really liked that line because like he, he is kind of cool in a weird way. But I think because of the way he chooses to play things and the path he chooses to take, by the end of it, you know, but by the time we wrapped the show, I really didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And I started out liking him quite a bit. <laughs> and so, like, as I was playing him, I had fun playing him a lot. And, and yeah, I did pity him. And I did think that the things he was doing were, you know, sometimes kind of awful and oftentimes very awful. But I also totally understood why he was doing them. And, you know, as you have to. And then afterwards, it was just like, God, that guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, Which makes sense because it's such an insular character. I yeah. Mean, that's one of the hardest parts about adapting any of the King's works is just because you spend so much time in their heads and Harold especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the things I, I think is really great about this miniseries is that I feel like a lot of performances are really kind of getting that those inferences mm-hmm. like with a lot of their physical reactions yeah um you know like Odessa has got some really great um She's so good. just says a lot with so little with yeah. their face but you do too and I wondered do you think it was just natural or was that really like okay we got to bring some inferences here we got to bring parts of the story that we're not going to be able to tell or show or you know explain was that just was that all concerted it was Yeah, I think it was. It was all, I mean, my way of working on Harold and making a Harold that felt from the book. The book kind of became like my Bible for a while. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I think I have the copy that I have at home is like every single Harold section has a bookmark, has a little sticky. And on the sticky is a little you know, note of like what the scene is or or what the important kind of theme is. Um, and, you know, the whole, the it's a mess. It's like there's pages coming out everywhere. It's a disaster. <laughs> but I kind of made sure that I knew every single thing that happened to Harold and, and even just like the small stuff because there are so many scenes in the book where Harold just pops up for a second in somebody else's chapter and says or does something that's so valuable and so important to who he is and where he is at that point in the story. And especially since we were shooting out of order and the show was out of order, um, like my, my apartment in Vancouver where we shot the show was just like, I had a little wall. (laughs) It was just like a timeline of every single Herald scene that, you know, in the book and then in the series so that I had it all mapped out and I didn't have to worry about like, has Harold thought this yet or has, you know, has this happened or not happened or, you know. God, yeah, that that's what I was going to ask because that seems like that must have been part of the reason why you were so exhausted at the end by it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, because it's so pretzel. It was tough. It was tough to kind of keep straight. Um, but the the timeline helped. The book helped a lot. And then 
the manifesto that I kind of, it was a journal. He calls it the manifesto in the show, but the journal that I kept helped a lot too. Basically, I, I brought my typewriter up to Vancouver and I just wrote as we went. Um, and I started with what's in the book and the last page in it, I wrote the day before. Basically, I finished when I wrapped shooting the show. Wow. So it was like a live diary of Harold's life. Interesting. Just to kind of get his thoughts and, you know, all that stuff. So it's very, so it's like almost like borderline method then in terms of. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really know what that means, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not very, you know, trained, I guess. <laughs> um, but I mean, it wasn't like crazy. I just needed to do something that would, that would keep it all straight. Yeah. That would give me as much insight as I possibly could have into where he was mentally at any given point. Cause he's so all over the map. Like there, there are even just like moments where he's back to like, Oh, I could let all the flag stuff go and be a good person here. And then like the next moment he's like, Oh no, that's wrong. I suck. I should go to Vegas. Obviously it's not quite in those terms, but there's so many like little tiny things that happen in his head all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and like strategies that on the page didn't initially make sense. And then like, I thought about it and tried to figure out where he's coming from. And it's like, Oh, that's what he's trying to do here. Stuff like that. Well, there's so much rage, you know? Yeah. And one of the things I, I really love is the fact that you can kind of see it boiling and simmering, even when he has that smile. That, yeah. And I wanted to ask, like, did, was there, did you see it almost like a valve? In a way, where you kind of were like, all right, I'm going to let a little bit now, and then I'm going to dial it back. I'm a little bit now, I'm going to raise it here. Was it kind of like you kind of had to keep living with this sort of inherent rage? Yeah. Oof. yeah. No, it was. Um, which was also really weird. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think I'm a particularly angry person <laughs> on, a, on a regular basis. But I was definitely in a worse mood than average on that show <laughs> not like on set like i i you know i wasn't like a jerk but i mean i don't think i was maybe i was i hope i wasn't but just like in my own head i wasn't always particularly happy i think the way i think about people and relationships and stuff like that is very very different from how harold thinks about it and so it wasn't always immediate for me to find the the rage in those situations, which kind of I mean came as came as we went and came as more as uh, the the more we shot and and as we were in those scenes actually shooting them, but but that that rage because of that thought process was also kind of different for me to find, and it's made even more complicated by the fact that like you know as you mentioned before I mean he's a character who hates himself but also loves himself right yeah. So it's like you almost have to be the angel and the demon yeah. <laughs> at once. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can imagine all of that has to just add to this sort of exhaustion. Yeah. But it's a really, it's a really fun split to play because he's so self-aggrandizing and also so just deeply self-loathing. Well, did, I read that you had a playlist for this oh, character yeah. that you assembled. I did. <laughs> what, what, what artists were on this? Um, a lot of opera, a lot of like Wagner classical music, like really kind of grand stuff. Interesting. And then a lot of like Nine Inch Nails and there's some like Oingo Boingo. <laughs> there's, there's a bunch of novelty songs. There's 
you know that that Napoleon XIV song, They're Coming to Take Me Away? Mm-hmm. That one's on there. There's some Perry Como. Oh, that's so creepy. <laughs> Taken out of context, or I guess put in the right context, old music, old like love music from the 50s is terrifying. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's, there is, it's growing up... Um, Sorry to go off on a tangent, but no. like, I remember my uh, my family had this like I don't know this like tape that had just like it was back in the eighties, so they would just take like photos and they would scan them in into like a tape, and then they'd make this like photo montage, and it was like this pleasant song. I think it was like an old Louis Armstrong song, maybe. <laughs> but like today, I still get like the heebie-jeebies from yeah. hearing it, just because it's like all these old photos from like before my time. And this old music that's playing over it. And it should be pleasant. Like, but face value, you should be like, wow, there's my family. There's a nice song. I should be enjoying this. Yeah. But it would just be like, it would send me out of the room. Like, I would be more scared of that than like The Exorcist as a kid. I don't know what it is. Oh, it's yeah. It's a weird marriage. No, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's this weird kind of, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is either. But especially, especially some of the old, like, there's a, there's a song on the playlist called I'm Gonna Love That Gal Like She's Never Been Loved Before. It's Perry Como. Um, and just the title is yeah. <laughs> like put in the context of Harold. So not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, cause you know, at baseline, he's an incel yeah. and that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much their manifesto right there. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That's so did you listen to that the entire time while you're on set? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh boy. I would like, <laughs> what, what's the, uh, yeah, I would, I would like get on set and like take out whatever pages of the, of the manifesto I had prepared for that day or like was from the day before. And I would just like, I don't know, blast some Berlioz into my ears and get angry. (laughs) Kind of Harold's theme, the theme that I sort of found within the playlist ended up being um, the old Gregorian chant, DS Ray, which is also the opening music for the shining. Um, Mm -hmm. But it pops up in classical music all the time. Whenever, oh, yeah. whenever there's a. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All Eighties Movies podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thought about death. Um, And that kind of became his like, his theme. Which I didn't intend to to happen because, you know, it is it is the opening credits to The Shining, but it just sort of worked. It um, does work. Yeah, there, there's there's something gothic about it that yeah. just really sticks with you. I, I always associate it with um, it's like an old video game from the '90s, like Zombies Ate My Neighbors, and every time. <laughs> 
like one of the big vi- villains would come on, they would play that theme. So I actually, yep. I mean, I, I associate obviously with The Shining because just because it's obviously the theme, but mm-hmm. it does feel larger. It feels yeah. like grander horror yeah. in that sense. So I think it definitely matches uh, with Harold. But um, you know, you, earlier you mentioned the fact that you and you when you had read The Stand, you never really picture yourself as Harold just because of obviously the physical differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's certainly difference uh, the disparity between you know the source material and what we see. Were you, were there any doubts or were you kind of, were there anxieties about that going into it where you were like, all right, well, I'm going to have to embellish other areas to kind of seem like I'm more on the fringe a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the costumes were really important to me, I think, mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and, and King gives Harold such a good costume in the book, which I kind of, we, you know, I, I kind of tried to, get as much of that to the costume designer to like, you know, request certain pieces for him as much as I could. Um, and, and it ended up being really fun with her to like, her name was Angelina, the costume designer. And, and, and we worked for a while on just like Harold's kind of weird outfits um, with mm-hmm. the Hawaiian shirts and like the badly <laughs> fitted khakis and these boots that she found that we were both like, Oh my God, those are the hero boots. Like those are exactly. Cause in the book, I think, I think Harold is wearing like white pointy cowboy boots. Yeah. And there were already a lot of cowboy boots in the show. And especially since we were updating it to like modern times, there was something kind of alt right and, and militaristic about the, about the boots that we ended up settling on, which, which were, these just like shiny black pointed, I don't know what they were. They were like patent leather smooth boots. And, and Josh, Josh ended up putting a, putting like a, a close up of them in the first episode, which made me really happy. But like finding this, this weird kind of costume. And then, and then as the show goes on and as Harold progresses in his, I don't know, rage, madness, finding more and more pieces that felt like it had the spirit of those boots, very kind of military and, and almost, I don't know, all right. I mean, yeah, no, that's a perfect comparison. Yeah. But then also like the hair and the kind of posture that Harold has was important to me too, because, because I was missing that just inherent physicality of being, what is he in the book? 240 pounds. Yeah. He's, he's stuff. It's like portly. Basically. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to kind of find a walk that felt like sort of heavy and big, but also stunted. Like yeah. there was something that didn't grow right. And like he was, he was protecting himself. One of the earliest things I, I kind of found was, was this like way he holds his shoulders where they're like mm-hmm. almost up at the back of his head instead of just like down like normal shoulders like he's got a little shell he's got like a a protection on his back um, yeah that's that's a that's, yeah that's a great image it's it's almost like it's like a ninja turtle shell it's yeah like that. It's- yeah <laughs> that was kind of the idea so just things like that kind of became my way of making up for the difference yeah i wanted to ask about that because the the walk is something that we really all picked up on and, <laughs> and i even threw out a, some questions out to uh some of our listeners and they were like we gotta ask about the walk yeah like, the walk well, what is that it's crazy <laughs> um it, it certainly adds up because i just love you know in the scene with uh i think it was episode three 
where Franny first meets Stu. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, the way you walk away is just so like, yep, there he is. That's, that is Harold. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad that you and, and, and the other audience liked it. Cause I was, I was honestly kind of nervous about like it being too much. And it being just like too weird. No, because here's the thing, and it's not. And, and I think a lot of it just comes from looking at experience, like you know, because growing up, I, I mean, we all know people like Harold, and there is that sort of quirkiness where you just want to almost like pull the guy aside, which is almost kind of what Stu does in a sense, and just <laughs> yeah. be like, "Look, dude, like let's chill out." Yeah, you know, you don't need to have this sort of um, heightened persona for yourself because right. it's just doing a disservice to you. But some people just can't have that, dis- you know, there's just disconnect that some people have. Yeah. And I think that's what really kind of connects there for me is that that walk, the gait, yeah. the slouching, it's, it, it, it has that sort of lack of self-awareness almost. Yeah, that's the, that was the idea. Thank you. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. But that was also kind of the fun with Harold is like, he is so weird. And at the same time that I was worried about, you know, like, oh, maybe this is too much. It was also like, well, it can be too much because it's Harold. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of had license to do really crazy, weird things that I wouldn't normally feel truthful about, I guess. It's even like little things like the way you say dimples. Um, <laughs> just, yeah. ki- just kills me. It's just <laughs> That was a great line. Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's why him and Franny are, uh, are definitely on separate roads. But yeah. I had to ask too, because I'm a huge fan of paydays. Yeah. So I was kind of stoked to see that trait there. Because my girlfriend is always like, what are you, like fucking Harold Lott? Are you just going to go grab? I always grab a payday. Like, yeah. I wanted to ask, did you eat a ton of them while filming? Yeah. Uh, and do you actually like paydays? <laughs> I, well, okay. So which which kind, do you do you buy just the peanut and caramel ones? Or do you get the chocolate covered ones? Well, here's the thing. So... In, I'm in Chicago, and this has been a big debate ever since we started this podcast for like three or four years ago, was that the chocolate paydays were not really a thing yet until, I guess, recently, oh. um, or they, I guess they've been almost like seasonal. And so what I've... What's, this is so dumb and nerdy, but like <laughs> one of my co-hosts who actually has been going to like Pennsylvania a lot has noticed that they actually do have chocolate paydays there. So in like the, I think in the Northeast, they have them. Oh. Um, and then around here, they don't. So I've actually like looked around for it, but we can't find them. So I actually have never tried it before. Okay. So I don't know if you were able to find no. them or if you... That's right. I yeah. wasn't. And, and I <laughs> asked the props guys because it, it's so specific in the book that it's chocolate because you know mm-hmm. chocolate smears and everything yep. i was like yep. hey can we get some chocolate covered paydays as opposed to just the normal ones and they were like they don't make them and i was like what <laughs> i was so confused you know i don't think they actually exist in canada i think they had to ship them from the u.s to oh my God. canada <laughs> in order for me to eat any kind of payday i love the idea that there is someone in the crew that had to have been tasked to be like, all right, we got the paydays. Uh, they coming in. Okay, good, good. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Yeah, because it, it it's so weird and serendipitous that like this year that they didn't pop up because that's what we freaked out. Like we have a huge text threads for ourselves, and like all of a sudden one day, like during the summer or something like that, my co-host Dan was just like, "Look what I found, guys!" And we were like, and we were blown away. Oh we were just god. like, I cannot believe it. 
the chocolate payday. It's almost like during a pandemic. Yeah, during a pandemic. Like, how the hell is this happening? This is <laughs> so we just joked around and we made it a bit as like this is this is unofficial CBS All Access the stand marketing. Promo. Yeah, yeah. Well, if all right, so if you're not eating payday, like, what is your go-to candy bar? Like, if you're in you know pandemic, like, what is the one that you're gonna go for usually? You know, I I like I just like chocolate. I'm just a chocolate guy. I like dark. I don't know. It's healthy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I haven't. I, I don't know. I haven't been on a big chocolate sweets kick recently which is kind of weird um because usually i'm like i'll do anything for chocolate but i don't know i think because i did have to eat a ton of paydays that's so funny i had to like so many <laughs> like there were days when we would go to lunch after a scene of me eating paydays and i just wouldn't be hungry like that was my lunch was paydays but but it was the it was the peanut caramel ones i think i liked them at first and by the end of the show, I, I really, I was, I was kind of over it because I just eaten so many. <laughs> I mean, if you eat like five or six in one sitting, you too will no longer enjoy the taste of a payday. So don't do that. Going back to your past roles, you know, you've played the bully. You've mm-hmm. been bullied in King's Dominion, two major spectrums of King's work for sure. Mm-hmm. What side did you find yourself on growing up and which do you think is more fun to play on screen? Well, growing up, I didn't really find myself on either side until middle school. I mean, there were like, I guess, a few bullies in elementary school, but they weren't like bad. It was just like elementary school stuff. I moved to Burbank in eighth grade because acting. Yeah. And and my mom and I came out here and my dad stayed back in Florida, which is where I'm from because he has a job. And we lived here for the year and I was the new kid in eighth grade, which was really rough um yeah yeah there were there were some bullies there and i was not one of them i I mean i wasn't like badly bullied i i don't you know have any long-lasting effects from it or anything but i was i was on probably the the herald side but i also (laughs) i kind of looked a bit like herald in middle school which (laughs) it didn't i didn't intend for that to happen i didn't intend to like look at Harold in the mirror in the makeup trailer in the morning and be like, oh, it's me in eighth grade. Um, <laughs> but I did my hair like that. And like, you know, I wore the khakis. I was a complete nerd. I was very dorky. And I'm frankly surprised I didn't get bullied more. <laughs> um, and then I went in high school. I went to a really cool school in Florida. I moved back. Okay, I wanted to ask you about that growing up in Florida because you know, for me, reading Stephen King's work, like New England felt so alien to me. Like mm. I, I'd seen it in movies, you know, read it in books and stuff, but I never really understood, you know, like the idea of when he's describing like autumn. Coming from Florida and reading his works, like what were things that you related to it? My parents are both from New England. I guess they're not from, but they both lived there for most of their lives. And my dad actually lived in Maine for quite a while. But like my mom has been to Ogunquit, like, she knows that boardwalk and those shops and everything. And like, we would go up to New Hampshire and Vermont to see friends of theirs when I was a kid. And so I kind of had like reference of New England being this, like our friends lived on this farm and they had a, like a barn full of llamas and they lived in a house from the 1800s. It was amazing. And so New England to me was this like completely magical place that I'd been to, that I'd like experienced and like I'd seen snow and I'd seen the fall colors and all that stuff. But I didn't really get to spend enough time there to have it be a real place for me. Like, mm-hmm. like it was kind of this fantasy land. Yeah. And 
I don't know what was wrong with me as a kid, but I was completely obsessed with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Same. Oh my really? god. Really? Same. No yes. way. Es- it, it was the aesthetics. It, yeah. was, it was all the aesthetics for me. Yeah. It was. It was being like you know, huddled in like a, a little cottage mm-hmm. and seeing the wind blow against the trees and you know the the candles and stuff. I, I loved it. Yep. Yeah. Worship that story. Yeah. It's crazy because I actually always blame my love for Halloween and, and spooky stuff yeah. because of that story. Yeah. No. Um, me too. That's so cool. Wow. And that's and that's kind of honestly why I. I've, Whenever I think of New England, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. It's yeah. even before Stephen King. No, me too. That was like my my picture of New England mm-hmm. was like permanent Halloween, like bare trees <laughs> yeah. everywhere, kind of cold, but not snowing, just like beautiful, misty, foggy, weird, kind of scary, but in a nice way, New England. And I think that's what I liked about King was it was it had so much of that atmosphere, even like Dark Tower and stuff like that, it still had that kind of gothic thing at the same time as being like modern Lord of the Rings. And totally. both of those things were my obsessions. Which makes total sense. You mentioned with fantasy, is that something that you'd want to get into in terms of like, you know, a role? <laughs> yeah. Have there ever been any um, type of roles that you'd want in that? Like, I mean, I've, I, I, that was going to be my next question was basically like, you know, going back into King's Dominion for you. Mm-hmm. You said earlier Jake Chambers, but yeah. at this point, are you looking more like Eddie? <laughs> yeah, at this point. Well, at this point, yeah, Eddie's really, Eddie's really fun. But I think if I were going to go into a fantasy project... I'd want to do like an Andy Circus kind of thing. Because that was sort of what I was really interested in with Lord of the Rings was Gollum and Smeagol and all the creatures. And like the Hobbits are great, obviously. And I love all the characters, but Smeagol was like who I wanted to play. I'd love to put on one of those mocap suits or just like bury myself in prosthetics and be something other than what I am be something, you know, non-human and, and creature-like and stuff like that. Love it. That seems really fun to me. Yeah. You got to be the, the Smeagol of the stand. So yeah, that's <laughs> pretty much. You already got your starter package uh, <laughs> ready at this point. I know. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that was kind of, that's, I think, why I like the, the physical elements of, of roles, too, is that's kind of why I got interested in acting was animation and the ability to be uh, something completely different it was just so cool to me as a kid and so that's that's why i wanted to be an actor and so i'd love to be able to get to do that obviously you have the you know flair for the the fantasy and clearly with washington irving also the spooky but like do you traditionally prefer the horror genre or is it just something that you've happened to find yourself in not really i definitely don't when i'm when i'm watching movies i don't think well maybe i do I think like most of my favorite movies are technically horror films. Yeah. <laughs> they are fun. Yeah. Are fun. Maybe I am. <laughs> but but not like the super scary ones. I don't like being scared for the fun of it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't get anything out of that really. But I think the atmosphere and the the music and all that stuff is is really why I love it so much. Cuz I I think it's really beautiful. I think that sort of genre i wouldn't call it horror it's just like creepy <laughs> you know what i'm talking about like that like oh totally where there's like a dramatic aspects to it that yeah 
tend to be more, the, the skew a little bit more, maybe not totally supernatural, but there's weird shadows to it. I love that stuff. But I think as an actor, I mean, the horror genre does give you some really amazing villains and some really totally. interesting parts to play. And I think I like that because it is, it is a lot of fun to be the bad guy and to be the villain. In the case of Harold, it's also sometimes really, really hard and not always a lot of fun. It's both. I don't know. But I think horror makes more room for that than other genres, and I like that. It's malleable. Yeah. You know? There's the, it's, it's one of the, f- the very rare genres where you can kind of like attach pretty much anything to it. Yeah. And I think that's what's, what honestly is what made it, makes it so omnipresent with everyone, you know, and why the fans are so, you know, they, they live beyond Halloween. They live beyond, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's all year. It's a lifestyle almost. Yeah. I do have one more question, and it's it's from one of our listeners in the sense that kind of a joke on the the past resume. But when are you going to complete the set and work with Stellan Skarsgård? <laughs> I feel like the, out of the, the the main three, that yeah. that's the last one that you have out there. That's yeah, I guess so. God, I don't know. I hope soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd, be um, that'd be good. Yeah, it's funny. I I guess it hadn't quite hit me how how kind of odd that is and i love that both of those brothers are like two of king's biggest villains they really are who is more chilling do you feel well the thing is i didn't actually get to work with alex in the stand because he never we're never in the same room that is true he appears to me in dreams and he doesn't even show me his face (laughs) but (laughs) but i mean bill was pretty scary but bill was also so cool like on set just as a guy that I don't know if it made Pennywise more or less scary, actually. Although I was genuinely terrified in the sewer. So the closed space. Yeah. That 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 alone would get me. Yeah. I think. Even when you know it's a soundstage, it's like it's still freaky. Well, yeah. Th- there's nothing scary to me than like peripheral horror where you yeah. kind of just see something down the like there's something far away and you know that like whatever is there is looking at you. Yeah. But you can't see it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what gets me. Oof. Yeah. Um and I, and I guess personal question to sign us off was, uh, have you actually been able to meet Stephen King after all this time? I have not. Really? I've met both of his sons, but I've never met him. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, I hope to someday. I was hoping that, you know, at the premiere of The Stand, he would come. But then, you know, there was a pandemic. So, yeah. But no, I mean, hey. <laughs> maybe I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe I'll do another one of his movies and still not meet him. I know, right? I mean, I feel like he's it's it's he's elusive. Yeah, he's an elusive guy. Um, you never really know where he's going to be. Yeah. Well, hey, he's actually in your hometown, almost kind of. I guess with Clearwater is not too far from Tampa. Yeah. But, no, my my so. <laughs> my English teacher actually met him at the movies when I was in high school. Oh by my gosh. accident. So she claims. I don't know. But <laughs> you should go stalk him down next time you go visit your folks. Yeah, I'll just, just go. <laughs> hide out in Sarasota or wherever <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. In the Herald character, maybe you could really, yeah. uh, really scare Keep him. Through offense. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for talking. This has been you. just such a blast. Yeah. Very excited to see what you're doing next. Yeah. It was great talking to you. Well, there you have it, folks. Constant reader Owen Teague. God, wouldn't it be wild to actually see him pop up in a Dark Tower adaptation? Of course, wouldn't be wild to actually see a Dark Tower adaptation, but uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe one day. We'll just have to wait and see. What I do know is that I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. 
I mean, talk about a pro. I mean, as we discussed all month long, week in and week out, he's the MVP. He's, he gave it his all in the series, and I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that. King's work has rarely been in better hands than with Teague, so just keep him coming. Keep him coming. Uh, fortunately for you, constant listeners, we are keeping him coming. <laughs> By our count, we still have two more episodes of The Stand, the titular eighth chapter next week. And King's highly anticipated new coda the week after, which is kind of exciting. I mean, nobody knows how it's going to end. Nobody. Which is surreal. I don't think anyone's really ever experienced that in a Stephen King adaptation. Knowing, going in, that it's going to be absolutely different. We have no inkling of how this is going to go. All we know is that it's called Franny and the Well. So, take your guess. Uh, (laughs) But look, we're going to experience it together. Which makes it a little more special. And certainly more exhilarating. So we'll see how it goes. But for now, I better stretch my legs and start hiking back into town because the sun's going down and things get a little spooky out here in the dark. Strange noises, odd sounds. You start feeling things. It's not good. So I'm going to get out of here. But I'll be seeing you over long days. And I think you know the rest. Consequence Podcast Network.